Welcome to Unconscious. I'm your host, Liz Cook, functional nutritionist and founder of One Seed Organic Perfumes. Unconscious is a podcast presented by One Seed for the purpose of connecting you in a more meaningful way to the world around you and to help you dive deeper into your own life and habits and encourage you to investigate the products we use, the way we think and how we interact with the world around us. In today's episode, we speak to low-tox guru Alex Stewart about what living a low-tox life means and how to be more kind and compassionate. If you're born into something, it becomes part of your program. And if you just gently say, hey, did you realize this? I didn't realize this. People are much more likely to go, oh my gosh, no, I'm not okay with that. Oh my gosh, I haven't even ever had a set of values that I've identified because once you've deconstructed it and you get to build back up based on your values, life looks really true and good because everything you're doing all of a sudden has a much deeper intention to it. So let's jump in. My guest today is Alex Stewart, and I'm just going to read your bio verbatim, Alex. <laughs> Go um, for Alex it. <laughs> is, <laughs> Alex is the four-time best-selling author of Low Tox Life and the founder of a thriving online education hub by the same name, made up of several e-courses, a podcast, which is one of the highest ranked in the health category in Australia. Well done for that. Thank you. Recipes, articles, and community action resources for an ever-growing community of people wanting to be healthier and make our planet happier. She's an educator change agent, author, columnist, speaker, and consultant at the forefront of a movement that's non-judgmental and tough on the system that got us here. I bet you've heard that 40,000 times <laughs> every time you do a podcast. <laughs> I have. And it's so funny. I have no emotional attachment to it because I tried to write my own bio as we all struggle with sometimes. Yes, we do. And I ended up saying to a, a, a dear friend who knows me very well, can you just write it? It's just... I can't write about myself like that. And that's what she wrote. And I'm like, great, I'm just going to go with what you said. Fantastic. <laughs> Do you get imposter syndrome when you hear all this? No, no. You've got to own your story. You've got to be proud of the work you do and focus on how it helps others. I think if you make it too much about yourself, that's when you get imposter syndrome. Whereas if you make it about the gift that you're able to create for other people, then that's never something to feel funny about. You just focus on being like Oprah and giving people stuff. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think that's awesome. It's funny because a lot of my friends and colleagues have um, such a, a admiration for you. They're, some of them are real fangirls. So when I told them I'm interviewing you today, they get a bit giddy. And this is women in their 40s, all, you know, Alex Stewart, the role model, the influencer. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, it's it's quite weird, this whole online thing that's, you know, I've been going for a decade now and and I think, you know, I am used to someone, used to being the person who like had the poster of the rock star up on the wall or, you know, the, like if I had bumped into any of those people, which I did a couple of times, like after a concert, my mum let me wait <laughs> and I would babble and kind of go, ah, and I wouldn't know what to say. And I always swore to myself, if ever I gained any fame or notoriety at all, that I would instantly make people feel super comfortable, go in for a hug and, uh, you know. Not ask, now though, right? Just ask, for, for an elbow or a foot now. Oh, well, yes, no. At the, at the moment we're going in for the elbow taps. Actually, all of my work has been cancelled in the. Oh, in, my goodness. It's very interesting times in small business, I have to tell you. Such yeah. a strange time. Yeah. You take the position of really just 
wanting people to feel like you're one of them, but you're just, you know, I guess you're the leader of the movement and you're happy to be the leader, but you like to be um, on the same platform as everybody. I think that's really the impression that I get from listening to you and, you know, even from the way that you dish out your information and, and the, the way that you podcast and all of that, you feel like one of us, but just ahead of the curve and kind of, you know, the Pied Piper leading everybody. Yeah. And I think the definition of leadership for me is someone who very much puts themselves last. You know, it's what can I do to make everything easier for you guys? That's what a leader does. And, you know, one of my favorite books actually is Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last. And, uh, and I drew a lot of inspiration from, from that and from some of the most incredible leaders in both business and movements over time. And, uh, and I think that's why people feel comfortable. It's like, oh, you're doing this for us. You're not doing this to be famous. And there's a very big difference. I couldn't give a toss whether anybody knew who I was or not. What I care about is that people have challenges in this space. They want to do better by people and planet and animals, of course. And, you know, it gets confusing out there. It's very polarizing out there. There are so many people trying to tell us there's only one way or the highway. And that brings with it guilt and shame. I'm never going to be good enough. I can't do that perfectly. And I just really saw that we needed a different conversation, one where we could actually just decide to do better than yesterday and simply let it be that and to embrace the grey, you know. Like there are some people who are going to be able to eat a certain way and thrive. Others eating that same way will do the exact opposite to thriving and we have to make room for everybody to thrive rather than have it be some sort of exclusive club. And and that just means everybody doing their best within what works, works for them. And, uh, and I'm pretty proud of the community spirit that has emulated from that spirit that I put out there because it just breeds kindness and understanding and compassion and it's okay, tomorrow's going to be better. Don't worry that that air freshener went off in the lift. Yes, it sucks, but, you know, think about all the great things that you do that are in your control rather than worrying about the one time something wasn't in your control or all that kind of stuff. And so people just get that message out there in such a beautiful, kind way. And that's something not you know, you can't do that alone. You need thousands and thousands of people to be out there doing that. But a lot of people aren't leading a movement that way. They, Like you said before, a lot of people in leadership or in an influencer role are really leading with a very specific focus or a very, you know, certain paradigm or certain... Um, protocol and... Protocol, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Agenda even. Mm. And so I think there is a lot of guilt in this whole, you know, lower toxin living type of environment or even anywhere where people are trying to have better health and well-being. There mm. is a lot of guilt and a lot of, um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I ate that. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you gave me that. There's a lot of that. And so I think what you're doing is so important, exactly what you said, because it breeds kindness both to other people and to the world, but also to ourselves. So it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to not get it right. It's fine to go out and have a pizza, even though, you know, you you so-called quote, eat clean, I think it's giving people permission to be human and like you said do better do better every day and and be kind to one another and to yourself. Totally. Yeah. You know people like Ellen Ellen DeGeneres yeah, teach I love that her. and uh and I just think we just need to all be more like Ellen. 
yeah. and and Harry Connick Jr. You know, just these sickeningly lovely, beautiful <laughs> spirited people that just spread kindness, however it looks, free from agenda, free from protocol. Because if we actually just clean up our mental backyard and come from a space of kindness and compassion, you'll find that a lot of that black and white extreme thinking, there can only be this one way for it to be right, just melts away because it's just not possible in a world of true kindness and compassion. There are many different ways. Absolutely. And I think it's especially true in this environment we find ourselves now with the whole COVID-19 and this yeah, panic yeah. buying mentality and so on. It's never been more important for, for in Australia and for the world for us to look at each other with kindness and compassion and for us to take an approach to living that is inclusive of other people rather than this whole panic buying, hoarding for myself, making sure me and my family get out. You know, you'll, you'll come out the other end and you'll have no friends, no family, no environment because, you know, too many people are in for themselves. But it's so lovely to hear, I'm sure that you've been hearing on the media and so on, just these little stories that come out yeah. of people being kind and compassionate, sharing their toilet paper with somebody else or dropping off food parcels or... Or, you know, whatever it's amazing, it is. isn't it? Amazing. Yeah. So kindness has never been so important, I think. Absolutely. In fact, this morning, um, I haven't been listening to any of the news other than the daily ABC medical report because I just don't feel that. Any, I mean, if we can learn our lesson from the bushfires, uh, as Aussies who've literally only just recovered from fires, freak yeah. hail, floods, and now we're like, oh yeah, yeah, we're totally good at tragedy and panic now. We're good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're we ready said. for this. We've had our big rehearsal. And, um, you know, while it's a, a huge crying shame that the momentum that we have picked up with climate change has had to take a back seat to this, of course this is the most important thing happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we can get very, very swept up in that if we're not too careful. When, Especially when you don't feel confidence in a government, you know, we we have seen a lack of strong leadership on the bushfire front. And so now there's already that tainted uh, view of our particular leadership here in Australia when it's come to this pandemic. Mm. And uh, and so I find it quite harrowing to try and listen to news conferences and press conferences with politicians. I'm just sticking to what the doctors are saying. And that just is the most evidence-based, comforting, even though it's harder to listen to sometimes because they're saying slightly more precautionary things um, yeah. and calling on stricter measures. But I, I still find it at least it's strong leadership. It is based in fact, science, looking at the countries that have been before us. And I literally just take that one news piece of news every day and that's it. And yeah, that's better for our mental health and better for exactly. our clarity of thought, you know. 100%. Otherwise we we end up frozen in inaction because we're so scared by all the, the fear mongering. We're paralyzed. That's right. And then it leaves room for the beautiful good news stories. You know, this morning I was just watching the most beautiful uh, live um, Facebook that a friend of mine did who is based in Maryland in the States and he went to Washington to visit a friend in hospitality and uh, this friend of mine actually coaches business owners in hospitality. So right now business owners in hospitality are completely screwed. They don't even need any coaching because they're literally shut. But this good news story was just amazing. So this guy 
in Washington. Young bar operator has never even had a food service as a part of their offering, but they do have this big outdoor shack where people would come in Washington, D.C. and uh, and have after-work drinks. He realised that all of these restaurants having instantly been shut down means a tonne of food is just about to go to waste. Mm. Pair that with the fact that all of the schools are shut and therefore all of the kids who rely on food through the school program who are literally going to have no lunch in the lower socioeconomic brackets are now being fed by him and a group of chefs and his business partner and they've found a way to not only get the food from all the restaurants that have shut so that it goes to use to these uh, families that desperately need food right now but also now on to the distributors who have no one to sell to in the restaurant trade getting all of that food and getting it all financed through uh, various um, 501cc operations over in the States. And, you know, you hear those kinds of stories and they're feeding 800 people a day and it's just amazing what can be mobilised. Absolutely. And I think that is the challenge for all of us as business owners, as entrepreneurs and anyone in leadership and also just the everyday mum and dad whoever's at home, whatever your job is, I think the challenge for all of us right now is to rather than think about things in a panicked way is to actually go, okay, how can we mobilize? How can we do something creative here? How can we help each other's business or each each other's lives by approaching things differently? Mm. And I think the whole world is really required to do that at this point in time because we don't want to see pubs and restaurants and um, venues closing down and, you know, shopping centers closing down and people without money, without food, but there are ways that we can absolutely support each other if we get creative and um, and also be prepared to open our hearts and change our thinking slightly. You know, we've got to shift our shift the way that we've always thought um, mm. in a time of crisis. I think it's, it's vital, but we can get through it and we can certainly get through it better, I think, and come out the other side better as a society and better better as individuals with our strength of character as well. We really can. The opportunity in these sorts of times is to crack it all open and rebuild better. Yeah, I agree. It's as simple I as agree. that. We've got to see it like that for sure. Your book, Low Tox Life, has been going absolutely gangbusters since you launched it. And I noticed that you're now in your eighth reprint in just 18 months. That's insane. <laughs> I know. That is insane. And now you're available in Latin America, Spain and France and I see all the, you know, the uh, the translations and it's absolutely insane. So this message of people wanting to connect to a more real way of living, getting back to nature, you know, taking care of themselves and the planet is really relating all around the world, isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, it's kind of like what we grew up, my generation, X Gen, yours as well. Um, I think I can't remember, but I think you're <laughs> around the sure. same. Yeah, um, and we grew up in the '80s, and if you grew up in an even remotely centrist or slightly conservative area, which I didn't think I did until I was an adult, but then you look back in retrospect, you go, "Oh wow, actually, yeah. very conservative." Interesting. And nothing against. And this is certainly not a political statement, but it's more about looking at how activism was talked about and viewed. And activists were always seen as the crazy people, the, you know, the people stopping progress. 
And that was kind of the message that I grew up with in the very background. And when I became a teenager, I started to really revolt against that message and connected with the work of Martin Luther King and connected with the work that Greenpeace were doing, Bono, Geldof, you know, all those exciting X-Gen icons. And I remember thinking, no, they're actually the people who sound the alarm. We've got to listen to them. And then as I grew up and, you know, started to check off my societal checklist and drifted away from activism, caring about the planet, which one can often do if you've grown up in a conservative area, you get on with getting the good job, getting the boyfriend, getting married, you know, all the things. But when I returned to uh, activism was when I discovered that removing gluten from my diet was going to remove my chronic tonsillitis situation through a wonderful naturopath who had done some research and was looking at this emerging connection in the science. And that forced me to look at food labels for the first time in my life. And I realized I had no idea what was in this stuff. Never mind the gluten. What the heck was all the other stuff? And then seeing that when I went to have my baby boy a couple of years later through all the personal care and cleaning products, And the injustice of that really woke me up. And what I found was that we needed to bridge the gap between the people who sound the alarm and do all the crazy, fantastic, brave work, you know, chaining themselves to logs and hanging off boats and uh, just incredible mobilization and courage. So many of us just don't identify with being able to do that ourselves. Yeah, that's true. And yet, if you really ask the average good human, would you prefer for people to be healthier and our planet to be happier? Like, you know, just healthier soil, better farms, you know, less cancer clusters amongst our farming communities, all that kind of stuff. Would you like that? And most people would say yes, but they don't want to be the activist. And so how do you get the everyday person to do something? And I really felt like there was a big gap. And so I think just helping people practically realise there is so much we can do from literally our shopping baskets to change the world and to ease the work of those incredible brave souls. Why wouldn't we get started with that? And that's kind of how Lotox Life started. That's amazing. So you do you think that people in your Lotox community and people who do your courses and people who read your books, do you think that they come out of that feeling empowered to be everyday activists? Yeah, absolutely. And some of them have actually gone on to increase their voice more and more and more and become incredible activists themselves, brave people at the forefront. So amazing. it's amazing when you just wake people up to the systems we've been born into If you're born into something, it becomes part of your program as uh, the wonderful Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza, you know, of the world say, and uh, it becomes autopilot. You don't even realize that you've been programmed to believe a certain set of things and to see the world a certain way and to be entrenched in the convenience that you've orchestrated based on what your mum and dad did and all that kind of stuff. And if you just gently say, hey, did you realize this? I didn't realize this. You're then one of them because it's just a regular person on a journey of curiosity. And then people are much more likely to go, oh my gosh, no, actually, I'm not okay with that. Oh my gosh, I haven't even ever had a set of values that I've identified because I've just been on this auto program of, um, of life. And 
it's amazing to deconstruct that gently with groups of people at a time or through the book and chatting to people online because once you've deconstructed it and you get to build back up based on your values, once you've actually identified what your values are, life looks really true and good because everything you're doing all, all of a sudden has a much deeper intention to it. True. And then you, you have a plumb line of sorts that you can, uh, you know, a center point that you can keep going back to, I think, when you've established, yeah. well, this is what I believe. These are my values. These are the things that I stand for. These are the things that I will act on. I think that having that center point is really important. And a lot of people don't have that. I think it's surprising for people who are more that way inclined that other people don't have that. But I think this is um, critical for us as people to have something that we stand for and something that we work hard to achieve um, to give greater meaning and purpose to our lives and to that of others as well. That's right. Do you find that most people are coming to your community uh, on a similar journey to you, maybe with a, a health crisis or often I often hear people say it's when they have kids, they start reading labels because then we start thinking, what are we going to put on or in this beautiful little perfect human being that's just arrived? Is that where most people start with you? It is often there or it's a health niggle. Mm -hmm. uh, in the late 20s, uh, you know, and it could be, oh, I, I think there's something I'm eating that's not working for me and I need to figure out what that might be. Um, or my gut's just always been a bit wrong since I was on the contraceptive pill, for example, that can really screw women over. And, uh, and yeah, so it's often either a personal challenge or the journey of becoming a parent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what are you finding the feedback is from people? You, you're now speaking to people all over the world that are in your community. What do you find that we have in common in terms of our lifestyle or even our willingness to change or to become more activist in our everyday lifestyle? Where's the common threads? I think it's, that common thread is simply that we are united wanting healthier people and a happier planet. That's really what the common thread is. Mm -hmm. No one wants to see their kid obese at the age of seven. No one wants to see their kid with body covering eczema and a respiratory condition. No one wants to see their kid unable to eat 10 foods and literally every time you go out socially is a terrifying, freakishly uh, worrying situation when you see the party food table. Like no one wants that. No one wants to see deserted soil that can no longer grow food. These things really hurt when you realize just how bad they are and how prevalent they are. And good people just want to do better by all of that situation, uh, whether it's touching their family directly or whether something they can do can impact in a bigger picture sense. And I think that that common value of wanting to pass the baton when we're done in this world in um, having run a really good race and putting our team, team life in a better position to win that race uh, is, is just what people want to do. We just want to yeah. feel like our life mattered beyond buying a whole bunch of stuff with the money we earned from jobs we didn't necessarily love. Absolutely. You know, and lives just, we weren't even that fond of at the end exactly. of the day. Exactly. And, you know, it's um, it's it's not for everybody to, to do that digging. There's a lot of people feel a lot of fear come up, but 
hopefully in the way that we do it in um, the Lotox community, it's through beauty and kindness and compassion and gorgeous products that still deliver and perform. You know, your range of perfumes is so beautiful. Thank you. It's not, it's not a deprivational experience like dieting was sold to us in the 80s kind of thing. You know, you don't have to quit life. You can actually just do life better. And that's absolutely true uh, in my industry and also in, you know, the uh, lower chemical beauty industry as well. I think people are really scared to make the transition because, you know, I use this makeup and I use this and I don't want to compromise. And they are still of the mindset sometimes that they have to compromise if they're going to go into a more healthy lifestyle. But these days there are so many amazing inventive products and ways of creating, you know, new skincare, new um, home products, cleaning products and so on. The technology has come such a long way and people are now and companies are now so invested in the creation of these products, I don't think there's a compromise at all anymore. In fact, exactly like you said, I think it actually elevates your lifestyle. I think it does too. And I think um, once you feel that good, you just people start to become curious. My skin's better now than when I was in my 20s working in the cosmetics Me too. industry. Me too. And my um, routine is simpler. Oh, so much simpler. I, I mean, the things that I used to convince I mean, I used to run whole training programs on the billion <laughs> step skincare programs and fly around the world learning from, you know, French makeup artists and famous perfumers on my research trips to, to be a good uh, teacher and trainer in my, my management role. And I'm just, I'm not embarrassed because we only do what we do with what we know at the time. And that's what I absolutely teach. And I'm sure you look back as well, Liz, Absolutely. and just think, oh, that was a, a shocker. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, yes. there you go. So We've all got a pass. That's right. <laughs> it's time to purge. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I started my book the way I did, you know, just a portrait of me as a 26-year-old hospitality worker once I had left cosmetics in management and uh, become a singer in nightclubs and uh, oh, bartender, amazing. which my mum was so thrilled with that career pivot. <laughs> as you can imagine. But the, the truth is I smoked a pack a day and I drank tequila most days and, I, you know, like it was, it was a pretty hardcore life and uh, but fun and I was never particularly excessive as a person. I think I can count on one hand the amount of times I've got drunk because as a Frenchie you're just not raised to find alcohol that exciting, if you know what I mean. It's just part of life in small amounts. But, yeah, I think that realism is really important. You know, everyone has a past and everyone's just operating from what they know right now. And, again, that's where the opportunity for compassion is rather than, oh, you don't want to use that, it's toxic with, you know, a condescending voice. It's just not going to help anyone feel any better about making change. It's just going to keep us in that 80s diet guilt mindset. And that's right. Hopefully we have well and truly put that behind us. I think so. I think it's a new day. <laughs> mm, yeah, new day. I'd love to hear about your lifestyle, Alex. So you talk about how, you know, how you used to not have the healthiest, most balanced lifestyle. So what, what does it actually look like for you today on a daily basis? What is your sort of daily routine? What are the things also you do really well in terms of, you know, living the life that you want to live and where's the things that you feel like you could do better? Oh, that is a great juicy question because we can always do better, right? And, Absolutely. Uh, and I just don't think there'd be anyone who would be lying if they didn't think they could do something a bit better. 
So, yes, I'm going to be brutally candid right now and tell you I probably should have woken up half an hour earlier so that I could have showered before this call. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I can't smell you, so that's okay. (laughs) Um, No, so sometimes I just hate being busy and fast in the mornings and getting it all done. Sometimes I just... I think I don't want to make time to meditate and journal and have a perfect breakfast and I'm like stuff it. I'm just going to stay in my pajamas. My first call's at 9:30. I'm going to have a cup of tea and relax. And do you know the thing is is I don't necessarily think that's something I need to improve on. <laughs> now that I say it out loud, yeah. I actually think you know you're what? real. <laughs> that is just total permission to go with the flow on how you're feeling that day. So so no, no hashtag breakfast bowl on a daily basis? Oh, my gosh, no. I don't think <laughs> – I can't even remember the last time I made a perfectly manicured breakfast bowl. I think I did it once. I'm terrible at making them. If I want one, I go and buy one because I cannot seem to do a breakfast bowl. It's just – I don't do pretty food. I'm French. It's rustic. It's delicious. But it's very, very slapdash in terms of presentation usually. I'm the same. So what's the rest of your day look like? The rest of my day, you know, okay, here we go. What I absolutely make sure I make time for is relaxation and time with myself that isn't with anybody else or online. So that's literally just after I've eaten my lunch on our little balcony, looking over the bay, I'll linger for 20 minutes and I'll do nothing. I'll literally just look at the little little tiny ripples in the water in the distance and do absolutely nothing. And I think permission to do nothing is something we can all uh, refine. We need to keep keep reminding ourselves how important that is. I didn't realise just how much of an epidemic doing nothing for women wasn't, (laughs) if that makes sense, like in terms of like we just were not doing it. When I ran a competition, we had a wonderful um, partnership month with uh, one of my favourite coffee brands, Republica Coffee. She was the first carbon neutral food business back in 2004, a dear friend of mine, Jacqueline. And so we were doing like a giveaway. And I remember the question was, what is your favourite way to enjoy your time, just your time? And all you have to do to be a part of the giveaway is reply to this newsletter with your answer. And 400 or so women entered and um, one guy. And the guy answered, I never flinch on golf with my buddies on the weekend and my morning ride with uh, a couple of friends who also ride bikes three mornings a week. And I definitely don't miss out on my Thursday night drinks with uh, my colleagues. And he was just, (laughs) it's just like, wow, that's a, that's a lot that you just have absolutely no issue sticking yeah. to. But the <laughs> women's answers, the 399 people who answered who were women, uh, said, I love to steal a little bit of time to have just a quick cup of coffee. I like to sneak myself a nice little muffin and coffee just after I've dropped the kids to school before I rush off and do everything else. So the women felt like the time was not theirs was what I took from that. And then I started observing because this was about four years ago. So I started looking around and it's true. Men feel like time is theirs 
women do not feel like time is theirs. Time is everybody else's. And then you take a tiny bit of time for yourself sometimes. And I was just fascinated by that dynamic. So it's something that I have tried to become less, just just more own my time. My time is mine and I give my time to other things that I prioritize as well as to myself. It's gift, not take, not like something you have to steal or sneak. That makes you a thief. We are not a thief of our day. That just makes no sense. We've got to own our day. We've got to say what our day is. We have to be proactive rather than reactive with our time. And so, yeah, it's been a really fascinating um, personal journey in really owning and not for one second feeling guilty about that. I remember a couple of weeks ago I had had just the craziest week of work, so busy, and then there was this morning where there was absolutely nothing on and that night I was doing a coaching call for some of our students uh, in our coaching class and so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to spend a couple of hours binge watching Grace and Frankie. (laughs) just light, funny, beautiful comedy, simple, you know, and just drift off. So it doesn't always look like these perfect low-tox things such as meditation or gratitude journaling, all the things. Whatever you want to do with your time to fill your cup up, whatever works for you, right? Mm. And that is something I have really worked on. And I feel like the final piece to my really owning my time will be to be unashamed in active stuff. Like, you know, no, right now I am going and I'm playing tennis. Right now this is my time. I'm going for a walk. You guys can organise yourselves. I'm not cooking dinner tonight. That's my next piece of that, the active part, because the passive part I need for my adrenals, we all need that. But the active part we need for energy and vitality as well. And I still feel guilty exercising. I feel like I can that's totally someone relate. else's time. Yeah, do yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And in fact, I only just really started, I went back to the gym after a few years last year and I always felt like I've got to make sure the dinner's cooked, the house is done, I'm helping the kids with their homework and everybody's done everything before I go. And then by that time, probably the classes are all done. So, oh, well, I won't go today. And it's only really been since Christmas. And I had a bit of a epiphany similar to what you're talking about, where why am I, why am I feeling like I'm borrowing their time? This is my life. This is my health. So, Um, Yeah, yeah, I've just started giving myself permission to go to the gym, even though I haven't cooked dinner and I feel great. And funnily enough, I don't have the sense of guilt that I thought I would have and I've always had because I've given myself permission to take that time because it's actually critical. But this is a really important lesson, I think, for all women to learn because we don't, you're exactly right, we feel like we are borrowing somebody else's time and we don't actually have any that belongs to us. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's the great improvement that we all need to make in our lives. But we need to take our partners, our friends, anyone that we have in the past given all our time to, we need to take them along and have those honest conversations as we readjust and reclaim our time. Because it can look really selfish if someone who's always done everything for everybody else is all of a sudden doing a few things for themselves and there's not quite as much to go around. You've got to, everyone adjusts. You're not the only person in that picture. And so just simple things, simple, simple things. Like I urge any parent who seems to find themselves doing all the school admin, 
why don't you take ownership of extracurricular activities and then the other partner takes ownership of the medical forms and the excursion forms or stuff like that just to start to actually lighten that load and reclaim time as something everyone shares and it doesn't mean you're all of a sudden becoming super selfish but it does mean you're starting to readjust the scales that have been very much tipped against the favor of women up until this point in time and I think um, I know your question was what does your day look like and what are you trying to improve on I felt like that was kind of the subject I really wanted to make sure came came through because you know I eat right I, I eat mainly organic and and regenerative foods and of course I do everything low tox from cleaning and personal care like all of that stuff's checked off but this seems like a a real um, work of art that needs constant exploring while the world adjusts to women becoming more equal. Yeah I think a lot of us are in the same boat so that's a really good reminder to everybody I think. Mm. Funnily enough in in the current climate with you know a lot of businesses shutting down for a while people going home to work and so on or or work uh, cutting back I was having a conversation with a colleague the other day about some people getting fearful and so on, but both of us were of the same mind that it's kind of exciting because it actually makes us all take stock of life. And it's as a global community, we're now being forced to slow down. Mm. So our time is going to be used differently. We're going to be forced to use our time differently and also to see value in different things because we won't have the disposable income and so on. And and I got thinking about that uh, and it kind of gave me a sense of relief, like, wow, I can actually now sit outside and just have a cup of tea mm. and just watch the birds be- just because – yeah. And there's not as many emails coming in the inbox and so I on. I know, and, right? You know, while you still want to have a great thriving business, there's some sense of relief that, you know, you, we all want to get back to being connected with our lives and connected with the world. And I think this does give us that opportunity, Alex. It sure does. I mean, the question mark I have, as much as I'm an idealist, I'm also a questioner. And I'm like, so if we all slow down, we don't have an economic theory that exists that supports that right now in any government pretty much anywhere in the developed world. So I'm very interested in that aspect, like how do we keep everybody employed? Um, Is it going to mean a universal basic income? Uh, Does that become a less crazy idea? Like all that sort of stuff really fascinates me, how we do this slower um, but not leaving people behind. And that includes like our businesses, you know, everything has slowed down. I had probably about $10,000 worth of speaking gigs have been cancelled. Yeah. Um, E-courses filling up half as much as usual because everybody's panicked and rightly so, you know, it's a little bit scary and crazy and they're maybe not making the income they normally make. So we're all in this together to try and figure out how it works. But I think if while there's this period of forced shut down, forced slowdown, we can at least try and find the the positive in there and try and wade through curiously and see what might work better for us, what we've forgotten to do so much as we've gotten busier and busier. And, you know, it's been, as one of my yoga teacher friends was saying, the world has been so yang and now we are literally forced into yin and kind of going, okay, so I've read two books 
Uh, I've done some exercise. I decluttered my house. What what what's supposed to happen next? We're I not baked used a, to it. Slow loaf of bread. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an opportunity if we if we choose to see it that way, absolutely. Mm. And I think it'll be really exciting to see burgeoning creative arts from people's homes, people reconnecting to stuff they loved doing when they were kids and they had yeah. a whole afternoon or a whole summer holiday ahead of them. You know, it'll be really interesting times. It will be. I was going to ask you this question in any case, but it's I guess it's going to take on a slightly different um, slant now. But what do you think our lifestyle as Aussies will look like in 10 years? Gosh, um, what do I you, want you it give to me a look different like? answer now. Well, what do you, yeah. what, what's your sort of prediction, I guess, based on people's now willingness to make some changes and, and um, they're becoming a movement towards everyday activism and, and people influencing each other and so on. And, and I guess now we're in a health crisis as well. It's going to make people take stock even more. What mm. do you see in the next decade is what's going to be different or and what's going to be the same, what's going to be really different? Mm. You can be a futurist for me for two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I think we will move towards a much more direct food system. Frankly, you know, we are so uncreative as a society right now that we think that if the supermarkets have nothing on the shelves, then we cannot eat. And that is simply not true. So true. It is not true. And I think this panic will create a, a a need to look more broadly at where one gets food from. And hopefully I see this as an amazing opportunity to create direct lines with farms for more and more people. And hopefully, you know, this is not a position I'm currently in. I've always been an apartment dweller. But for the people who have backyards to actually just freaking finally grow something, it is so I feel really guilty when you say that. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. But if you do, like yes. this can be your big project. Take an online course on growing veggies, you know, especially the things that you can get up and running like leaves and broccoli grows super fast in the winter, like stuff that you could literally have to harvest within the next two months. There's some really exciting uh, opportunities there to realise we can connect more directly with farmers and we can actually connect more directly with our ability to grow food and that's kind of exciting for me. And if if it just becomes the norm to have a veggie patch versus a perfect lawn in 10 years, that's the kind of world I want to I be heading towards. Um, awesome. So I would like to think that there will be more regulation of chemicals once our children have gotten to the point where we're so sick, once the cancer clusters in our farming communities are so obvious that we will finally reach a point where we do not allow chemical companies and industry and lobbyists to run essentially the way government responds to um, safety and testing and we will have some sort of global testing facility that is independent that the whole world can draw on and that all governments invest in and pitch in to create rather than everybody feeling like everyone's government needs to do it themselves. Privatisation of industry is not the answer. Globalisation of independent research is the answer. It is mind-blowing how the the default seems to be, well, the government can't afford to independently test everything, so we'll push it back on the industry to have the responsibility of just providing us their safety data sheets. 
And like a tiny country like ours, 27 million people, our taxes can't pay for 40,000 chemicals to be independently no. tested. That's not possible. And that testing can be up to a million dollars a test exactly. if, you, if you're being extensive. Yeah, there's That's no right. way. So I think there's a huge opportunity to start globalising some of the things that humanity needs a baseline safety around and I'd like to see that happen in the next decade for sure. Mm. Yeah, amen to all of that. Yeah. One of the things you do really well is bringing real data and science into the conversation. So there's still this um, cynical side of society that basically says that all of this is pseudoscience and we should, you know, just trust the government and trust the stuff that's on the shelf and, you know, everything else is kind of magic and voodoo kind of stuff. Why do you think there's still such an apathy and cynicism towards reducing our chemical burden? Um, I don't think it's apathy so much as a a lack of progressive thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, some people find safety in doing things as they've always been done up until this point. And some people find their energy from questioning how things are done and how things could be better. And there's just different minds. And so the people who question how things are done and how we could do it better are very frustrated by the people who who go, oh, but this is how we've always done it and the science is settled. Science is ever moving. It is never settled. Otherwise it's not actually science, is it? We'd still be bloodletting if science (laughs) was settled. So I find but I'm not judging those people. I'm just genuinely curious as to how one could just accept that because this is in products that line our shelves, it's okay when there is even a whiff of research that might suggest otherwise. We should be just really thoroughly checking things out. So I don't think it's apathy. I think it's probably more fear and a desire to just keep things as they are and to also there's ego involved, right? There's True. I, I don't want to feel like everything I've done up until this point might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people have been given the emotional resilience to expand through that kind of thing and be taught that it's okay to be wrong. You know, if you grew up in an abusive household, the voice was raised every time you did something wrong, like you're not going to want to question things. There's a lot of kids that grow up that way and become adults. So, you know, we've got to have more compassion for where everyone is at and just try as best we can those people who do feel safe expanding, being curious trying to find things that are safer, trying to listen to scientists who are sounding alarms, like our little activist scientists who are like, dude, this isn't right. We're seeing endocrine disruption here. I don't think we should be using this. You know, we, we just, I, I think the precautionary principle is a really beautiful place to arrive at. It's very European in its thinking. And uh, it, it is, if two products exist, one has something that there could potentially be an issue with that ingredient did we have millions and millions and millions to do long-term research on? And then this other product doesn't have that thing in it and everything in that ingredient panel seems to check out with all the science available to us, then no brainer, especially if it performs just as well. Absolutely. And I think that's a place that we can invite people safely to, to join the more curious kind of pioneering spirits among us, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think that's good advice. And, and as you said, that's really helping us, even people who feel that they are activists, to be kinder to people who aren't on that journey yet. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, we have to just be the change, a la Gandhi, thank you, Yep. <laughs> and uh, and invite curiosity. And when someone yeah. asks a question, we just need to say, well, it's interesting because I always used to think this, but then I did this research, I did that course, I read a book, read a second book, and it started to seem like a lot of people were sounding the alarm. So when I looked into it, sure enough, there's some research that says maybe we shouldn't use that. Not such a great idea. And I'm prepared to to accept that until we know for sure. And I love I love that term, that invite curiosity. I think that's that's a really good way to approach it. Mm, yeah. I want to just touch on something you posted on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, being that fragrance is my baby. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, you posted something which caught my curiosity. And first of all, I want to say congratulations to your superhero husband. I like, I like I his, um, what a legend. his actions. Uh, so good. We should all own a husband like that. Um, <laughs> He's very handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet. Um, so there's obviously some massive issues with synth- synthetic fragrance, you know, generally, but shopping centers are now just pumping this stuff out, not just the bathrooms now, but in, in the shops and generally in shopping centers. You posted something about really getting this conversation started and A, making people more aware, but B, giving people a little bit of power to kind of force some movement in this issue so it doesn't become, you know, a greater public health problem. Do you want to talk Mm. to me about that and also about that downloadable resource for anyone who wants to take action? Yeah, sure. So a couple of years ago um, we built some downloadable resources on the really common things that people would learn about in uh, one of our courses where we talk a lot about reducing environmental toxin exposure and they just wanted something that gave them the confidence to take the the conversation further either in their school community or uh, their local shop. You know, maybe they work in a shop where there are air fresheners or scented candles used with synthetic fragrances um, and they just didn't feel that they had the confidence to have that conversation alone at that point in their lives. Um, And so we created a downloadable resource that was like basically a letter that you would be able to email someone or even just give them in person if you were brave enough. And, uh, and it would, it had the research around phthalates and other endocrine disruptors and carcinogens that are found often under the umbrella term of fragrance, which of course, as you and I know, can have many, many, many up to about 150 or something. Not that there's ever really an exact number, but around there of chemical compounds used, none of which we have access to knowing what they are because of proprietary blend um, protection laws. And and so if we kind of knew at least what some of the typical ones were that had been tested and shown to be in many mainstream synthetic fragrances, then we could show the research on how they negatively impact the body. And we could also share a couple of alternatives as to what people could use instead. You know, really cheap inexpensive uh, type of essential oil like lemon or orange. The citrus oils tend to be quite inexpensive in diffusers or even just wiping down the surfaces with that essential oil in the morning and that would kind of permeate through the day in your shop or um, in your classroom. And so that letter has become something that people can have the confidence when they know that the synthetic fragrance is impacting public health, either a direct experience in their own family or just going off the statistics that about a quarter to a third of people are negatively impacted, whether it's their respiratory system or whether it's through other symptoms like headache, migraine, 
or longer-term symptoms, which are showing to be things like severe endocrine disruption, potential thyroid issues, nodules, et cetera, in some of the research, as well as reproductive health concerns and issues. Um, And all of that is in the scientific literature, very, very well demonstrated by independent scientists. So I think it's just so important that we all feel brave enough if we've done this for ourselves in our family to step up and go, what's my next, what's my next thing that I can tackle? You know, is it the classroom? I know my little Jimmy's in there and he's got asthma. I'm worried about that, but I'm scared of a difficult conversation. That download helps people feel like they're supported in that conversation, I guess. And so people can just go to low tox life and find the download there and then just print it, pass it on to the the school teacher, the principal, the the management office. Yeah, exactly. So you'll see on the homepage of lowtoxlife.com, there are tabs and there's home, about, explore, courses, recipes, yada, yada. Under the explore tab, you have just a little bit further towards the bottom, free resources and downloadables. And that's where we have all of our old webinars that we've recorded. And then we have the one on synthetic fragrances. We've got one on glyphosate. If you want to reach out to your local council, we've got one on food additives. If you want to have that conversation with your school or your sporting um, club or why we need to turf the turf, which is the fake grass one. And, uh, and people can just start those conversations. And if you ever, anyone listening has an idea and they think, I really wish there was something I could download for this problem I'm having in my community, then do let us know. We're happy to create that resource. That's awesome. And that makes people really feel supported. As you say, if we, if we don't quite feel brave enough to have those conversations as yet, that's really helping us to step forward. And and, uh, and also it makes you feel like you're part of a wider community who's taking action on the same thing. So that's fantastic, Alex, that you've created those resources. People need that help, you know, and um, that's why we exist. It's not about being smart and everybody hoping that they could be as smart as Alex one day. <laughs> I'm just not that kind of person. It's more about like how many smarts can I give you so we can all do this work together because yeah. I can't go to every school and shopping centre in the country. Impossible. So um, it's up to all of us. So good. Mm. So just wanted to um, get some tips from you while we wind up our interview today. Um, You've got four areas that you focus on, home, body, food and mind. Can you give our listeners a couple of tips? Now, probably most of our listeners are already sort of on this journey to a lower tox um, lifestyle and they're probably already eating mainly organic food and doing some quite active things. So can you give us maybe a couple of tips from each or any of those categories that you feel like have the biggest impact on our health and the planet? And then maybe for people who've just started to consider making some changes, where's a good place for them to start? Mm-hmm. Awesome. So food, body, home, mind are the, the four pillars of the low-tox life and the planet care is kind of the overarching umbrella across all of those areas. And so let's start with food. So the, and I've been researching this a lot because my second book is on food and food growing and uh, soil preservation. That's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's really exciting. And, uh, you know, so many people are being given messages that we can somehow think about our conventional non-organic shopping baskets 
and attach like a carbon price and how much water is used in all of the different foods. And it kind of freaks everybody out into feeling guilty about eating an almond one week or, you know, shame on you if you've ever considered eating meat, uh, you know, who, yeah. you name it, whatever food you eat, you've been shamed. Yep. Soy, you know, the poor vegans get shamed about soy and potential endocrine disruption. You know, that doesn't happen for everybody. So back to what I was saying right at the start, when we've got to stop shaming everybody for what they eat and we've got to all collectively unite around how food is grown. And the number one thing you can do personally with however much budget you have to consecrate to this very um, worthy endeavour, it is to find regenerative, biodynamic permaculture farms and buy from them and buy whatever you can, even if it's just you find someone who's 50 kilometres out of the city who does a yoghurt and milk delivery once a week from a biodynamic farm, buy it because it doesn't matter what you eat, it matters how it's grown when it comes to saving the planet and when it comes to saving your health, of course, because if something is grown and raised in healthy soil with incredible microbiome of that soil intact and little worms reeling around everywhere, lots of carbon sinking in because there's so much good land cover through weeds and grasses and trees and natives, um, then basically uh, you are doing your bit for carbon emission reduction. And that could be eating anything as long as it is grown in a way that is giving more back to the planet than it takes. That's a huge adjustment for a lot of people to make based on the current mainstream chats about this stuff. But I really do encourage you to look into regenerative farming, biodynamic farming, permaculture, and, and find the real answers on how we can eat better for ourselves and the planet because soil gets cooler the better condition it's in, which cools the planet down. It's able to draw more carbon down. So if you find a farmer who says, I don't farm broccoli or I don't farm cows, I farm soil, that's the guy or girl you want to buy from. And if you're confused about that, we have our Real Food Rockstars course that helps everybody just eat the way that they thrive and find an incredible way to do that based on connecting to great farms. So, you know, we accept all denominations of diets. It's not, <laughs> I've never tried to convince anyone that they had to eat any one way. Um, it's more about how we farm. And there and, are a lot um, of amazing buying groups now. So there's, if, incredible. if you're scared yeah. of, oh, I can't, you know, I don't know how to find a biodynamic farmer who does milk or whatever, there's, on Facebook, I'm sure you can jump Facebook's on and find amazing. them. It is Yeah, amazing. so that you can yeah. just jump in on one of these buying groups and be part of, you know, a monthly or a weekly or fortnightly delivery. And it's not a lot of hard work and not, not many changes you have to make to do that. Yeah. So um, that's my big food tip. And even if you can only just start with a couple of items a week, because it is a bit more expensive, but anyone who can do anything is then part of creating the scale and creating the, the funding for more of this type of farming to be done. And uh, for anyone who's freaked out about yields, and I thought we had to do conventional farming because the crop yields are better, actually we're showing that we've only got 60 years left of topsoil if we keep doing it the way we're doing it. So it is critical that we move to a, a system for long-term thriving, not just uh, quick buck thriving, which is kind of like that's a metaphor for life really yeah. across all industry and, and the way we've been living. It's not quick buck anymore. It's what's the long game. 
Absolutely. So um, food and then body. So my number one tip for the body is really to to focus on what you're putting on your whole body rather than your face. A lot of people start with the face and they don't really worry about the body lotion so much. think, oh, yeah, I'll swap that later. My face is my priority. But your skin is an organ and there's a lot more body than there is face. So if you haven't made your, your body swaps, then I would definitely be starting there. Okay, so home, gosh, there's a plethora of things that often um, fall under the radar there. But I will say number one is to think about the air you're breathing inside your home. If you have water damage, mold, damp, condensation on the windows when you wake up in the winter, you have to, have to, have to address your airflow and your indoor humidity and bring that down and address any leaks so often in our beautiful, which often serves us really well as Aussies, our she'll be right mentality. Um, It doesn't serve us when we're actually trying to look after our home and keep a healthy home for a long time. And uh, again, just like with synthetic fragrance, about a quarter of the population are extremely negatively impacted by mold and damp. I'm one of them. So it is a, a, a personal endeavor to bring awareness to this subject. But I can't tell you how many people since I started talking about this a couple of years ago and what I was going through, which got me really, really sick. And if anyone has any unexplained long-term health issues and you haven't turned over the stone that had mold under it for you to investigate for yourself, then I would absolutely do so. And you can start with my, just Google the whole mold story, Lotox Life, and the post, it's about 10,000 words. It's a doozy. It'll come up. There's heaps of resources. I think a lot um, of people will um, will have their eyes open by that actually. Uh, it's just like I cannot stress it enough and I speak about it at every single talk I've given because I know there will, for a fact, be a quarter of the population in that audience with unexplained health issues and nothing has worked. You've cleaned up your diet. You've cleaned up your products. You've cleaned up your cleaning products. You've gotten rid of all your clutter and you still can't figure out why you're unwell. You've even started meditation and you're doing all the right things. You shouldn't feel guilty. There's just something you haven't pieced together yet. And so often it's mold. Uh, I, I mean, I could go into that for hours, but I won't. Finally, mind, of course. And I think the best thing we can do for our mind is to bring about an awareness you know, kind of like I tell people who are just starting out with food, think about how many products you buy versus produce and just start tipping the scale towards produce. With our mind, the number one thing we can do is think about how many negative thoughts, frustrations, and how much anger boils up in us each day versus positive thoughts, peacefulness, and gratitude uh, lingering around in each day and start tipping the scale however we can towards the good stuff. Did I have to freak out when that person cut me off in the traffic? Did I have to scream at my son this morning just because he wasn't putting his shoes on quite fast enough? Did I have to get so down on myself when I I had one negative piece of feedback in my personal development review at work? All the things, like what can I do to breed positivity? Maybe you need to see your favourite people more. Maybe you need to meditate and find a sense of calm more. Maybe you need to take a course in positive psychology to really understand just how dramatically it can impact our health to reduce our stress and anger and negativity. Because, of course, if we're stressed, angry and negative all the time, we're in fight or flight 
and we don't make good decisions when we're in fight or flight and we don't have a good immune system when we're in fight or flight. We don't have a good digestive system. Our colon doesn't work when we're in fight or flight. So we really, if if we haven't figured out that that piece of the puzzle is one of the biggest in the overall health picture, then just do whatever you can or whatever you're curious about to bring more positivity into your your mental state on a day-to-day basis. Amazing. I think we often forget about the mind in terms of toxicity. So that's the really Mm. good reminder because that's where it all starts really, isn't it? Totally. It really is. I I know a lot of people who have gone 100% organic or completely low tox and they're really stressed about it because you can't (laughs) do it perfectly. It's not possible. So if people want to get more information about you know, the courses you offer or just, you know, your way of thinking or just become a little bit more active in their everyday life to make some really positive changes. Do you want to give us the details of your website and your social media, et cetera? Where can they find you? So super easily, you can find us at Low Tox Life pretty much everywhere. So Instagram is Low Tox Life. Facebook is Low Tox Life. The book is called Low Tox Life. The podcast is called Low Tox Life. Uh, the website's called Low Tox Life, but I do have a personal Instagram that I've just started myself, which is just kind of a place for me to be me, not to just share low tox resources, but you know, I love music. I love tennis. There's other stuff about me. So I started a personal Instagram as well, which is underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. That's pretty much the only thing that's named differently. So um, <laughs> just come and check Something it all that's out. Yours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Alex, thank you so much for being our guest today on our very first podcast episode. Oh, you're so welcome. Good luck. Oh, thank you so much. You're um, absolutely part and leader of a really important movement. So thank you so much for um, bringing us into your journey. Thanks, Liz. It was wonderful to be your first guest. I wish you (laughs) lots of amazing conversations. It was a great interview. You asked some awesome questions. Yeah. Oh, good. Good, good, good.